Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. Welcome to The Payoff. I'm Antonia Cerejido. And I'm Chris Duffy. The Payoff is your audio companion to all of Mike's business and personal finance coverage, which you can find at mike.com slash payoff. So last episode, we talked about my crazy tax mystery and how the government owes me a lot of money that I haven't been able to get back. We did. And it was a totally insane story with all the twists and turns of an M. Night Shyamalan tax return. (laughs) Now, if you're listening to this episode, but you didn't hear that last one where Antonia told us about her mystery, go listen to it now. It's the episode with the words tax mystery in the title. Go ahead, download it right now. We're waiting. And just in case you did miss it, here's a little recap. I never got my money back that the government owes me, and it's because I went through an accountant who I wasn't sure whether they had filed it or didn't file it, and now neither the IRS nor the accountant will get back to me. Yeah, basically the government ghosted on you. (laughs) Yeah, the government did ghost on me. But actually, I have not solved my mystery yet. However, I did get in contact with the accountant. Okay, that's progress. And they promised me that after tax season, they will help me solve it. So (laughs) we will have to wait. Yeah, well, you know, like you going through this whole ordeal has made me realize that there's all sorts of places in my money life and in everyone's money lives where you have to navigate these mazes of red tape and confusion. Ooh, money mazes. Yeah, I think I think it's actually a kind of common consumer experience, like this being frustrated when you're trying to get answers and you're dealing with a big financial institution. I mean, money stories are very rarely wrapped up neatly and cleanly. It's not easy to figure out what's going on. And it's not just the IRS. It seems like whether it's cable companies, medical insurers, cell phone providers, or very recently, big airlines, there's something that happens when companies or money institutions get big. They become less like reality and more like some sort of Kafka-esque hell. Yeah, for sure. I know that anytime I've been on the phone with the IRS, I felt like I was in some kind of purgatory. And today we're going to figure out why this phenomenon exists. And we're going to start with our opening segment that we like to call, Oh No! Because that's... Uh, Why did you not do the Oh No? What's going on? I'm not doing it anymore. Okay. <laughs> Look, I, I want to just say, from the very start of this show, Antonia has not been on board with shouting <laughs> oh no, but I have always loved it. And then we got a review from a listener that said basically like, I love the show, but I hate when you yell oh no. And Antonia has somehow successfully used that to convince our producers in a coup to eliminate the oh no. <laughs> but I know that there are those of you out there who love that oh no section and I know that the silent majority are furious right now. So if you do feel that way, you need to make your voices heard by leaving a rival review or emailing at payoffpod at mike.com. Only you can save us from Antonio's evil dictatorship. I feel like I'm about to be validated so hardcore. I'm so concerned that no one will email (laughs) and then I'll just be out here alone defending shouting the words, oh no. Anyway... 
This is the segment where we dive into and get over something in the world of money that makes us uncomfortable. And since everyone's already talking about airlines this week due to a certain terrible incident on a United flight. Yeah, I can't believe they dragged that guy off the plane just because it was oversold. It was really shocking. It was a very shocking video. (laughs) And, you know, I travel a lot to get to shows since I'm a stand-up comedian, and I have had some experiences. So for our Oh No this week, I'm going to see if I can share my tips and tricks and get us all feeling a little bit better about traveling, flying, and hotels. I am very, very into that. And if that's not enough help for our audience, after Chris gives us his traveling tips, we'll move on to our big interview for this episode. And who better to talk to than a professional, Lauren Lyons-Cole, who works on the Consumer Reports money team. She's going to talk to us about the circumstances where consumers should be most on guard for confusing or challenging procedures, hoops that they have to jump through, and what to do when you feel stuck and you don't know where to turn. Yes, I'm a big fan of Consumer Reports, and (laughs) I really can't wait to hear the helpful info that she has for us. This is our Tips and Tricks episode. These are some (laughs) of my favorite things in the world. Uh, And then in our final segment, The Bottom Line, we're bringing back payoff editor Susie Popek to talk about a recent story about how thousands of Americans are being harassed about medical debt that they don't even owe. It's crazy, and she's going to tell us how to deal with it. You know, I feel like I might be one of those people. I almost always, anytime (laughs) there's someone being harassed about a confusing debt situation, it's got your name all over it, Antonia. (laughs) You'll definitely want to stick around for that. Okay, here we go with our opening segment where we get over our worries and confusion about something in the world of money. You know, the kind of financial stuff that usually makes you go, Oh no! I still hate that you're not doing it, Antonia. (laughs) I can't lie. But here I am all out of my own shouting, Oh no! (laughs) So this week we're talking all about money mazes. What have been some issues that you have come across where you deal with like bureaucracy or confusingness or challenges or hoops or yeah. all the things. Uh, so I think the biggest uh, bureaucracy and uh, money maze that I deal with it has to do with traveling. And I've actually gotten pretty good at navigating the airlines and hotel bureaucracy. Ooh. Yeah. So I can tell you that there are definitely ways to make it easier, although they increasingly add new rules as though it's like the difficulty level keeps getting ratcheted up higher and higher. Really? Oh, for sure. Okay. So I want to know all the secrets. Tell me all the secrets. Number one, always bring the same bag. And it always has to be a carry-on bag. Do not check your bag. Once they stick that underneath, you're going where that bag's going. Whereas if it's up top, you can just take it down and bring it with you. Also, if you always bring the same bag, you're never going to forget stuff because always the same things go in the same bag. I have like doubles of all my stuff so that it can just be in the bag and live there. Especially doubles of all the chargers. Because then one lives at home, one lives in the bag that you travel with. Changes your life. It's like you're George Clooney and up in the air. Exactly. Except like way less dignified and many times traveling on a bolt bus instead of an airplane. (laughs) (laughs) Second one, my second tip is if you are on the fence, I thought that spending the money for pre-check was a big mistake. So what's pre-check? Okay. Uh, So pre-check is TSA has this program where basically they're like, hey, what if we made your lives less miserable? And you paid us money in exchange for that. And the program is basically you go and like you give them your some background information about yourself. They run some sort of check. And then you now on planes get to go in this like special line where you don't take your shoes off and you don't have to take your laptop out of your bag. Chris, normally you're amazing at explaining things, but I think that you just described like we're very confusing. Really? Okay. If someone's listening and they don't know what pre-check is, what is pre-check? Because we both have. So you have to apply online and then you go. I went to like the back of like a random H&R block. In <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. An official TSA location. (laughs) Exactly. And at first it's kind of scary because you know that they're going to like go through all of your background and make sure that you're not a criminal and you have to like get your thumbprints 
And then you get approved. For me, it was like just like a week. Some people, it differs yeah. for different people, but you have to wait like a week and then you get pre-checked, which means something amazing, which is that you don't have to go through that crazy long security line. You go in a separate line where you don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to take out your laptop, which for some reason feels great. I don't know why. <laughs> the laptop really makes the difference. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, I don't have to take out the laptop. This is insane. And like you're like float through the airport to your gate as if life is majestic. Yeah, it's like basically uh, in exchange for $85, the TSA agrees to treat you like a human with dignity. So great that that's what it's come to. Yeah. Okay, my number three travel tip, which I think a lot of people don't do, and I started doing and has changed travel for me, is have a checklist. So like when you're going, you have your list of everything you need to bring. And then I keep this checklist. And every time I'm on a trip and I realize like, oh, I forgot something and I really needed it and I, this is ruining the trip. I add it to the checklist so next time I don't make the same mistake. Mm. And that has been really big because I'm the kind of person where I like think I'm going to pack ahead of time. And then all of a sudden it's two hours before the flight and I'm like <gasps> throwing things in a bag. And now that I have the checklist, it, it works. Is it on your phone? It's on my computer, on my laptop. So I open it up. It's a Word doc and it says like checklist, travel checklist, version two. And it has things like remember to pack boxers because once I went all the way to California and then was like, what did I forget? Oh, any underwear. <laughs> so then I had to go to like a, you know, a CVS and wear like CVS brand underwear or whatever. Too much information. Anyway, <laughs> tip number four, cheap hotels are better than fancier hotels. I really strongly feel like this. Even if someone else is paying for it. Sometimes when I travel for work, someone else pays for it. But when you go to a hotel above a certain line, they start charging you for all sorts of crazy things. Like Wi-Fi is not free anymore. You go to like a fancy hotel they're like oh by the way we're charging you like a 30 dollars amenity fee and it includes the wi-fi i hate but that the sheets are all scratchy oh i would take scratchy sheets a million days for one <laughs> free wi-fi night and then my uh fifth tip and this is my fifth and final tip don't always do airplanes when you're traveling airplanes seem like oh you're going far you got to go that a lot of times the train will get you there in the same uh amount of time or similar amount of time and for a similar price and the train is so much more comfortable. Trains are like the most heavenly way to travel. It's amazing. I really like you sit down and you work. You can get up and walk. They have a little cafe car. It just feels like a luxurious experience. Or like you're in a Hitchcock film. I also, I know not everyone loves them, but I am a strong proponent of Bolt Bus. I'm actually taking a bus later today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To another the, city? Yeah. And Bolt Bus was booked because I booked late. Mm -hmm. And so I took, I'm taking the mega bus. Here's the, the benefits of the bus companies. They're very cheap. Almost all of them offer like a $1 ticket at least. One ticket on every bus ride is $1. So like one person's riding your bus for a dollar. That's the real plus. Always cheap. Easy. You don't, you just like get there. The downside is... You just get there. The downside is on, on the Greyhound, once someone's head cut, cut off, and on both the Bolt bus and Megabus, many people have burst into flames, is my understanding. Also, you literally advertise it. You know, like, did you know that Little Caesar's tagline is, I think it's hot and ready to eat? Mm. I once I saw a restaurant that had the tagline, when you leave here, you'll be full. And I was like, <laughs> that is literally the bare minimum of eating food. <laughs> when you leave here, you're full. And I feel like that tagline is all low cost bus companies. They're like, <laughs> you'll probably be alive and where you wanted to go. But you never know. Yeah. Yeah. Once actually I was on a different bus company and it broke down two-thirds of the way in the journey, and I called to get a refund, and they're like, we're not going to give you a refund. You got to New Haven. And I was like, but I was going to New York. And they're like, yeah, but a trip to New Haven's not free. <laughs>
which is I couldn't argue with it, even though I was like, <laughs> that's so wrong. And yet you're kind of correct. So enough. you never got the refund? No, but I did curse at someone for the first time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are my travel tips. Hopefully some of those are useful. I feel like now... I can travel anywhere without any problems forever. Well, I don't think that's true, but, you know, at least you won't have the same problems that some people have been having. But if you're listening to the podcast, you probably don't want advice just from me. So coming up after the break, we'll talk to someone with a ton of inside info about different ways that consumers can get through difficult situations. Lauren Lyons-Cole from the Consumer Reports Money Team. She's going to give us the tools to become super-powered, super-consumers. Stick around. Joining us now is Lauren Lyons-Cole, who writes and reports for the Consumer Reports Money Team, and she's also a certified financial planner. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. I'm psyched to be here. So today we're talking about money mazes and all these complicated ways in which red tape and bureaucracy can end up costing us money. Um, So what are the biggest ones that you think kind of consumers should be on the lookout for? You know, anytime your money is involved, you have to be vigilant, unfortunately. But no one's going to protect your money more than you are. And companies in particular want to sell you a product or a service. Of course, they hopefully you're going to like, but also they want to keep your money. So whether it's airlines, which obviously, you know, we've seen recently how that can go against the consumer side, financial services companies, student loans are a huge example of this. But even something as small as just going in for your regular checkup with your doctor, that could end up biting you um, from a financial perspective. So it's something to always, you know, just sort of keep in the back of your mind. So you brought up airlines or student loan companies. Who are the biggest offenders in this case? So every industry has something. And depending on who you are, it's going to affect you in different ways. And so it's important to to have an understanding of what really is uh, at stake for the consumer, right? So at any point, you can vote with your dollars. I wouldn't say that there's a certain industry that's necessarily worse than others. I do think student loans, medical bills, um, cable companies are a big one, cell phone companies. These are ones that, that are kind of ubiquitous. A lot of us experience them. But you still have to be aware anytime you're giving your money over to a company. So things like that where it's either complicated or there's all this fine print, is it intentional that it's hard to understand? You know, that's a good question. I, I'd i like to think that it's not. I'd like to be optimistic and think, you know, it's just like the lawyers are back in their office, like putting in what they were taught in school they're supposed to put in. So who knows? I mean, I, I don't think companies are out to get us necessarily, but they're certainly out to make a profit. And sometimes some consumers are going to end up on the wrong side of that deal. One one thing that I've noticed, I was just talking about with a friend with rental cars, is when you get to the counter, a lot of times they'll be like, would you like to, for $7 a day, upgrade? And then if I say no, they'll be like, okay, well, uh, the car you asked for isn't here, so we're going to upgrade you for free. Yes. And I'm like, whoa, what a t- dastardly trick that <laughs> totally. was. I, that, that has definitely happened to me too. And in fact, I'm actually meeting with the Better Business Bureau very soon to talk about car rental companies because according to their research, and I don't know much about it yet, but but they really have very, they score very poorly in terms of consumer satisfaction and in terms of doing the right thing by consumers. So so, so I guess it is true that some industries maybe are, are more likely to fail 
some of these tests than others. So you brought up reading uh, the conditions and agreements. What are other recourses or resources that people can look to? Okay, so the other thing is also relatively, can be time intensive, but very important, document everything, even when things aren't going wrong. So, you know, if let's say you do go to the doctor, for example, and you have your blood work done, get those records, get an itemized receipt, just have the records on hand, have them email them to you or have, you know, you don't have to actually physically collect a bunch of papers, but but collect the information you need just in case something happens later so that you can go back and reconcile your records versus theirs. And it also gives you a leg to stand on because if you don't have any, if you're just like, I feel like you overcharged me, they're going to say, okay, I mean prove it. And right. if you can't prove it, then um, they're not going to be willing to help you. And you're not really, you, you can't take your case to a larger scale either. Cause it's like, if it's a, he said, she said thing, you're not going to get very far. Is there a, a connection between higher costs and better customer service? Because I'm not sure that I've necessarily seen it, but it does seem like a lot of times you are getting cheaper deals because they're going to treat you worse. I mean, sometimes there is the concept of you get what you pay for. Not that that means you should automatically go out and and pay more, but I do think it's important to think about customer service. And I think that younger consumers are actually pretty committed to a value. Like, we do tend to vote with our dollars. I think Mm -hmm. we go to companies that treat us well. And if you don't treat us well, then even the case of like Uber versus Lyft, or, you know, if even if it's a political thing, I think voting with your dollar can, it can be a very good thing. You know, another thing, actually, so on the customer service level, um, one thing that goes really far is signing up for a company's loyalty program, even if you never use it. Mm. So if you're going to use a car rental company once when you're taking a trip to L.A. and you're never going to use them again, sign up for that loyalty program ahead of time because you're going to get slightly better customer service. So I think that's the way to think about customer service, not necessarily paying more, but just setting yourself up for success when it comes to getting highest value from the company. I found that especially with uh, rental cars. I'm like a member of every rental car company's frequent renter plan. I am too. And you're like, I'm a chairman's club member. I'm a fast break member and whatever it is. But it is amazing how much faster it is. So much faster, even if you have zero points. I mean, obviously, if you're platinum on an airline, you're going to get good customer service. But even if you're just a frequent flyer, they're going to be nicer to you. It's amazing how almost every rental car place, it lets you skip the line, which is the worst part of renting a car. So you just like, like at budget, I like walked right up to the counter and they're like, here's your keys. And there are all these people just like stunned like in the line. Like, oh, he, <laughs> he must, must be some be... sort of prince. Yeah, He must be a very famous comedian. Yeah, I, like, I am in the chairman's I club. <laughs> imagine you like floating through buses and planes and now. Oh, yeah. Well, listen, I tried to do it with uh, Delta where I like I was like, I'll sign up for their Sky Miles thing. And then they canceled all these flights last week. It didn't help. My flight got canceled. Then I called the like. Sky Miles member line and they were like they wait for the estimated wait is three hours did you for comparison call the regular customer service line to see what the wait was for that I did and it was no wait Oh, I got through in like 10 minutes. That's so crazy. So that's actually that raises another point of, of what you can do to as a consumer to try to get the best help. If you're trying to resolve a customer service issue, call all the numbers. And if, you, if you're talking to someone that's not helping you because maybe they're cranky, um, mm. hang up and call again. Just persistence in calling and calling and calling um, or emailing or, or whatever method you're using can actually go a long way toward getting you help. That's very interesting, though. Yeah. I mean, speaking about that, so one one option is calling and calling. Are there any other tips for when you call to report a complaint 
that will get you better service? Well, again, you want to document. So when you call, you know, make a little note in your calendar, called at this time, spoke to this person, get their name, what did they say? Because they're taking those notes on their end, too. Mm. Okay. So definitely documentation is key. Um, I feel like I, instead of doing that, I, like, cry. I think I've cried. <laughs> I've cried to several customer service. It does work. It, it's like 50-50. <laughs> That's, well, yeah, you can always, like, negotiate with them in the way that works best for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a nice way of putting it. (laughs) Like crying probably is more effective than being angry, but sometimes being angry is more. I mean, you could try all all the ways. Call and cry. Doesn't work. Call and (laughs) yell. yell. Call back and be so sweet. Super charming. Um, You know, offer to send the money. Just kidding. Don't do that. But um, so so when you've really tried all the different ways that you can resolve the issue, that's when you want to escalate it. So that might mean asking for a manager. Um, Oftentimes, the person you're speaking with doesn't have the authority to fix anything, but their manager probably does. Mm. And so if it's really a big issue and you know you're right, don't even waste your time talking to the customer service rep. Just say, "Um, actually, this is kind of a complicated topic. Do you mind just putting on your manager? And if you ask for a manager, most companies, the policy is they're required to set you up with the manager. Mm. So that's a good strategy. But if that doesn't work, I mean, if you're really aggressive, you can always write a letter to the CEO, like, you know, people have great success doing that kind of thing. Or you can go to outside organizations that exist to help defend consumers. So the Better Business Bureau is an example of this. The CFPB does great, really great work. They, they have an entire uh, consumer... That's the Consumer Finance Protection Board? Is that what uh, it is? I think it's Bureau, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's a government organization that collects complaints from consumers. And the company has to respond. And they have to respond wow. within two weeks and you get a response. Sometimes it seems like with these kind of hassles that you can use maybe the power of a credit card here, that like paying for things on a credit card and then having the credit card company deal with it might be a way. Is that something you recommend or is that a risky? No, that's smart. I mean, and and even among credit card companies, it varies. I've had better luck with certain brands over others. And it's actually a good card for fighting back against a a company that wrongs you, right? Mm. And that's not going to happen very often. But if it does, it's better to go to your credit card company if you can't resolve it with them than if, let's say, you paid for it with your debit card. You're not going to have any recourse in that situation, certainly not if you paid for it in Mm. cash. Like, the cash can't help argue your case for you. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, to get in contact with the Better Business Bureau or CFPB, do you call them? Like, how, yeah. No, so actually they all, um, you can just go to their website, and it's as easy as submitting something online through their system. The CFPB has... um, it's just an online form that you submit. It's and consumerfinance.gov slash complaint. There you go. Perfect. Just so you know, that was not me. That was our producer sending it to me in an email. Well, That's the only <laughs> reason I knew it. I knew. I was like, I know it exists somewhere out there, but I don't know. Consumerfinance.gov slash complaint. Yes. And they would be very happy to have all of your concerns. They really you know, want to get the word out about it. So maybe in the age before social media and stuff like that, Uh, most people didn't have the power. Like, if you got treated poorly, if you got somehow scammed, you were just going to suffer alone in silence. But now, because of social media, things go viral. I mean, obviously, there's the United story that went viral in a really extreme way. But you see all the time people tweeting at, like, a company that does something Have you wrong. ever done that? I have. I don't use Twitter, so. <laughs> okay. But I've thought about it. I've had limited success and Well. You have. Yeah. <laughs> I, some pe- some people think it's in really poor taste to tweet at companies, which I think is insane. I think that's why they have t- the Twitter account. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Uh, one time the Muji store was closed when I went to the airport, <laughs> and I was pissed because their hours said that they were open, and I love the Muji store, and um, they never got back to me. So that's, was that's what that's you mean by limited story. success? Yeah, that's limited I mean. success is I was able to express my frustration, but yeah. nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that that's changed how companies treat consumers and or how you should maybe respond? Like, is it does it make sense to try and have your complaint go viral? I mean, it does, you know, and, and that's always been the case even before social media when consumers would band together and say, hey, this is an unfair policy. That's how you get your legislatures to, to listen to you and to say, mm-hmm. oh, OK, because at the end of the day, all of these, well, not all, but most companies are regulated in some form or fashion, right? So whether it's a mortgage lender, whether it's a hotel, there are government regulations that say, hey, here's what you, here's how you can't screw consumers, basically. Mm. And those regulations can change over time if enough people say, hey, this isn't fair. So, you know, being able to be yanked off a flight involuntarily when you've paid good money and it's your seat is um, that is a policy that could change. That's a regulation. Currently, the airlines have the right to do that. And the government could change that if enough of us care. So obviously this week, you know, whether or not the policy changes, there is a lot of recourse that would not have happened had the social media chorus not united behind the man who was pulled off off the plane. And so there's a lot of power in that, really. There always has been, but it's just mm. it's it's kind of it's a little bit easier to access now. Do you think it is getting harder for customers? Is the bureaucracy getting more complicated? Are companies becoming more convoluted and harder to manage than before? It's an interesting question. I think at Consumer Reports, we would say that actually consumers have more power now because of social media and because the way of getting your message across is um, is more accessible. So sometimes, you know, government regulations take a really long time to change, but sometimes Twitter, Facebook, all of these different methods of like raising an issue can cause the companies themselves to change, which is more nimble a lot of times than the government. Hmm. Um, but companies, as soon as they change one thing, you know, they they might change another thing. So they might make one policy more consumer friendly, but there might be this other one that's less consumer friendly that you don't know about until it happens to you or until it happens to someone and you read about it online. Um, a, a really big concern at this point in time is the rise of forced arbitration policies. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a lot of companies saying, um, and it's in their best interest, not the consumer's best interest, that if you have an issue with us, for instance, you know, if United had a forced arbitration policy, this would be a closed door um, legal resolution that we would not have access to seeing. It would be a binding decision from the arbiter as to how the man is compensated. So I only know about arbitration because I saw the documentary Hot Coffee, which I highly recommend. It's really good. It goes into this. But for those who don't know, what is forced arbitration? Forced arbitration. So arbitration is an, is a method of resolving a legal dispute that happens outside of the court system. There's no jury involved. There's an arbiter who's an objective third party who listens to both sides and says, OK, here's my decision. Here's what it's going to be. And it's binding. So everyone's agreed, like, we're going to let this third party decide. Now, it's actually a it can be a very good way to resolve legal disputes because it's streamlined. It's quicker. not as, yeah, it's quicker. Like the, it's not bad in and of itself. What is, what we do take issue with um, is when you don't have any other choices. Mm. So forced arbitration just means the company is saying, in order to use my service, you have no choice but to agree to arbitration. And 
as we know as consumers, choice is always better. So when someone takes a choice away, that's an issue. And and this is exactly why the reading the agreements is so important because yeah. that's where you'd find out if they have forced arbitration. My mom actually was my Shout mom. out to Antonio's mom. Almost went to a doctor and then she read in their agreement form that they had forced arbitration. She was like, For there's one thing that I'm not putting at risk, which is my health. Because then you would, if a doctor had some malpractice problem, you would have to deal with the doctor and not with an independent court. Yeah. And that is a great point because within industries, there can be variety between companies in terms of forced arbitration. So if you find out one company has it and another company offers the exact same service or product, if that's important to you, you go to that other company. It's also just like as a consumer, anytime something has the word forced in it, it's just never good. There's never a good forced thing. To be fair, the companies wouldn't use that terminology. (laughs) They would just say arbitration and they Uh, would put like happier language around it. But (laughs) it's not like clause 5B is forced arbitration. Yeah, it's it's not like that. Yeah, that would be more the term we would use. Yeah. So why can't you just always count on a company to do the right thing and to have your best interests in hand? It seems like it should be kind of simple. Like I give you money. You treat me well. This is a relationship that goes both ways. You would think so. I mean, in conversations I've had this week, one of the things that came up is is corporate philosophy matters a lot. And so even within airlines, different airlines are better at certain things and worse at others. So, And that's a, a result of corporate philosophy. So certain airline companies don't like to have this overbook situation, so they just don't overbook flights. Mm. Certain airline companies hate it when people complain about their luggage getting lost. So they're very good at making sure your luggage doesn't get lost. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you can you can identify businesses that have the same values and philosophies that you have and, and try to stick with them in hopes of getting the best customer service. Because I guess at the end of the day, companies are run by humans, just like it's all there's room for human error. But you would think that they would just do right by their customers all the time. But if they did, there would be no need for Consumer Reports. That's so, true. <laughs> uh, in some ways, we're glad that Consumer Reports is there to hold them accountable, hold their feet to the fire. That's true. I mean, maybe one day we'll work ourselves out of a job, and that would be great news. But uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, and it is, it's always shifting. The, the consumer protections, like a big issue for us now is data privacy and what you're giving away when you sign up for a new app and, and understanding those sorts of there's we have lots of issues but that's one of them so there's it's like there's always something we'll have to have you back on to talk about that because that's a whole other can of worms so if we want to catch any of the great work that consumer reports is doing where can we find it super easy you just go to cr.org we have tons of content everything ranging from financial services company companies to whether or not you're you know if you need to buy a new gas grill we can help you with that too so (laughs) awesome lauren lyons cole thank you so much for your expertise and for your information thanks for having me it's been a blast it's been great all right well when we come back we're going to talk to another expert payoff editor Susie popek who's going to give us the inside scoop on a new analysis of federal data that shows too many americans are being pestered to pay off medical debt that they don't actually owe stick around Okay, it's time for our final segment, The Bottom Line, where we look at a story from the world of business news and explain why you should care and how it could affect your bank balance. For this show, we're looking at a somewhat concerning study that was published this month that examined nearly 18,000 medical debt collection complaints filed in the last three years with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. To explain the findings of this study and what it could mean for all of us, we've got here with us in the studio again, payoff editor extraordinaire Susie Popik. Susie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we have this report that was published by the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, which is Ralph Nader's nonprofit consumer advocacy organization. 
and then also the Frontier Group, which is a nonprofit think tank. And those two groups published this report together. What does that report tell us? So of those nearly 18,000 people complaining about the way their medical debt was collected, nearly two-thirds actually didn't even owe the debt. They had already paid the debt or their debt had been discharged legally through bankruptcy. So people are getting a letter in the mail that says you owe us money and they don't. They actually don't. Well, that's two thirds of them. And then the other one third, um, in many cases, they're complaining because they have been threatened or harassed by debt collectors, sometimes even with threats of violence. Oh, my God. What does that mean? They say, like, if you don't pay us for your kidney transplant, we're going to come steal the kidney back? Or what, So what there are there are rules about um, when you can be called, whether you can be called at work. Um, there are legal protections, but debt collectors seem to not be, a, you know, following those rules. Uh, I personally had a medical bill mm-hmm. um, where I knew I didn't owe the money, and I kind of tried to argue with the doctor and the insurer, and I still got a call, actually, from a debt collector. And he, he was playing by the rules. He said, uh, but I do remember his language was very emotional, right? It, it, or uh, it was kind of scary. He was like, "Your, you know, your name will be tarnished." What? Um, so they they use. I mean, even when they're playing by the rules, they scare you, right? That's the yeah. whole point. And, and so, you think this guy was trying to get you to pay money, even though you didn't owe the money? Well, so that's a great segue into what to do if this happens to you. Yeah. Um, essentially. Uh, in this case, I knew that what I what I had gotten was a preventative service that is currently covered by the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, as the Trump administration acknowledged earlier this year, it is currently still the law of the land. Um, and so with, you know, if you go to the doctor for your annual physical, that you should not have to pay a cent out of pocket. All insurance companies are mandated to cover that. So I, you know, kind of I called and I said, hey, and I said exactly that. And I also said, you know, I, I could contact the National Women's Law Center. And I knew that the law was on my side. And, and if you use that language, if you say, I know the law is on my side, this was a preventative service and you are an in-network doctor, you will usually get your way. It's just that consumers are intimidated. Who is the debt collector? The debt collector is often a third party who who is brought in when the insurance company um, or the doctor is having trouble getting you to pay them directly. So we've been talking on this episode all about these money mazes, these bureaucracies and red tape situations that make it really complicated to get what you're owed or to figure out how to navigate these. And and this one, I feel like when it comes to medical debt Mm -hmm. is one of the scariest because it it just feels overwhelming and terrifying because your, your health is at stake. Your health, your and, and often the bills can be really big and scary. Um, another way that this can happen is you go to your in-network doctor and your results are sent to an out-of-network lab without it, you being warned of this. Hmm. So that's another case where you can step in and say, I was never told. And, um, you know, if you're polite but firm, you, you'll, you should get your money back. Hmm. So I... I didn't have any of the threatening situations happen, but I did once get a bill or or it seemed like it was a bill and I, I knew that I had already paid it, this exact charge. I knew that I had already paid my part. And so then I called up and they said, oh, yeah, just ignore that. But that, even that is scary. Yeah, even that is scary. And, and I'm, I believe, you know, that'll lead people to pay when they don't owe the money. Yeah. And because I'm like, well, ignoring a bill seems like a way to destroy my credit, right? So mm-hmm. even though they told me to ignore it... I, that was a very concerning thing for me. And that seems like the mildest one. I mean, you're telling me that people are getting threatened with actual violence. 
Right. And I think that it's often the most vulnerable people who don't know their rights. Um, so that's something uh, the payoff has written multiple stories about. And we're continuing with that just to let you know, what do you do when you don't owe the, this medical bill? It's never actually gone violent, right? Just threats of violence. Um, I think, yeah, I think that the, you know, people are getting harassed at home. Like the debt, the, the debt collector will sometimes show up in person. Like it's not, um, yeah, but phone, you know, think about even just phone calls at work. Right. How that how stressful that could be. Hmm. What were so if Chris were to have paid that uh, that bill twice, is it just as simple as him calling up and being like, yo, I paid this twice? Or is that like money down the drain and there's nothing you can do? Yeah. If you do, if they somehow do trick you into paying money that you shouldn't have paid, you should do you definitely get your money back? unwind that. And um, if you know, you can always file a complaint with the CFPB. Uh, you know, the CFPB, it, it's not as well known as, say, the BBB, the Better Business Bureau, but that's your watchdog. That's who's going to help you out. Yeah, we've been talking about the CFPB all episode. So to remind people again, their website is consumerfinance.gov slash complaint. If you're someone who's listening to this show and you're rightly concerned, what are things you should look out for to know whether debt is real or not? There's actually a checklist you can turn to, and this one is from the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. Um, if you owe debt under the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act, a debt collector cannot contact you before 8 a.m. or after 9 p.m. You can't be contacted at work if you opt out of that. And if you tell the debt collector to stop in writing, um, and to stop contacting you, they must stop contacting you. And there are more rights, sorry, at the uh, FTC website, consumer.ftc.gov. So in writing, that means you write a letter to the debt collector himself? Uh, or you, herself. Sorry, or herself. I'm assuming that it is a man. Sure. If, if you're being emailed, you, you would want to write back and say, please stop contacting me. But if it's a phone call, how do you know who to write to? That's a great question. I think in that case, you will ask the person, you know, the name of the company that they work for mm. and and hunt it down that way. So, I mean, ultimately, what is the bottom line? If you're getting these messages, if you're getting these phone calls, how do you or or if you want to avoid them, what are things you can do? Simply put, don't be afraid. If you get one of these calls, if you get one of these emails, you have rights. You're going to fight this. And as for how to prevent it in the first place. Talk to your doctor. Make sure that your doctor is clear with you about how they're going to be billing you. Um, increasingly, that's the best way to prevent this from happening because worst case scenario, you can email your doctor and ask them why you were billed. And they, you know, uh, in most cases, they're going to be on your side. And uh, as far as how this can actually affect your bank accounts, what's the potential financial impact here? And that's a great point. I think the, the final word here is don't ignore the problem, right? Don't be afraid, but also don't ignore the problem because if you let it go too long, you absolutely could, um, as the debt collector told me, have your good name tarnished and have your credit score dinged and, and far worse things. Yeah, tarnishing your good name feels like such a Wild West threat. <laughs> your good name will be tarnished, Susie Popic. <laughs> it's true, though. It might, you know, it'll make it harder to get a mortgage down the line or a car loan and that sort of thing. I feel really empowered right now. Yeah, Susie, thank you so much. I, I mean, this is a really scary story, but I'm glad to know that there are ways to fight it and that we don't have to just settle for our name being driven through the mud. <laughs> thank you. And no, no, we don't. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on the show. Can't wait to have you back again. Thanks for having me. 
That's it for this episode. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music is from Breakmaster Cylinder, and our producer is Alan Haberchak. Thank you, Alan, and thanks to everyone for listening. If you want to help us out, you can do it by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review for the payoff in which you include that you hate when we yell, oh no. Please do not say that. That's a lie. You know that you love it. You know you missed it in this episode. Don't let Antonio manipulate you. Seriously, help help me. Help me. Seriously, help both of us. If you write a review of any kind, as long as it's positive, it'll help more people listen to this show. But if you also say that you missed the oh no, it'll help you to know that you're right and an intelligent human being. Also, if you have any ideas for what we should talk about next, email us at payoffpod at mike.com. Also, you can find out more about us on Twitter at ThePayoffByMike or online at mike.com slash payoff. See you next time.